Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interview or discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Ergonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical orgone therapy or social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org. This episode features the audio from one of the ACO case presentation series webinars. Edward Chaska, MD, tells me about his young adult patient, Kimberly, an accomplished student and photographer who reached out for help shortly after starting her career. She wasn't going anywhere in her work or love life, and she saw no connection between this and her regular marijuana use. Listen in to hear how Dr. Chaska worked with Kimberly and allowed her to get going again. Hi, I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Welcome to the ACO's A Different Kind of Psychiatry Case Presentation Webinar. We're glad to have you. Today's presentation is entitled The Road Back from a Life Stunted by Marijuana, presented by Dr. Edward Chaska. Dr. Chaska is a clinical associate of the American College of Ergonomy. He's a member of the ACO's Social Ergonomy Training Committee and Publishing Committee. He maintains a private practice in Wyoming, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Dr. Chaska. Hello, Dr. Burrett. Hi, good to see you. Good to see you. So, Dr. Chaska, before we start, I want to let the audience know that you can ask a question at any time by typing it into the Q&A section. So we'll get to those at the end. But Dr. Chaska, I'm curious to hear from you. How did you decide to present this patient? There's a couple of things that really excited me about this patient. One is that she's one of the first patients who came to see me who specifically wanted medical orgone therapy. She, I actually saw her early in my practice and it was such a, uh, so exciting to have a patient come who didn't want to just be put on medicine, who wanted to change her life. And the other aspect is more current say, is it's really a case about blindness, about uh, blindness to situations in the patient's life and blindness to uh, situations in our society. Mm. And that's just as current now as it was then. Yes, yes. So I'm curious, who was this woman? And and what was the concern? What, What did she want to change? Well, her name was Kimberly. And she was 23 years old, a year out of college. She'd she'd gone to a very prestigious college. She'd gotten a degree in in, uh, photography. And then she'd gotten a very good uh, internship with a very well-known photographer. So everything seemed to start out really well in her life. She's told me she hadn't taken a photograph herself in months. Hmm. 
And I said to her, you know, well, what's going on with that? And she said, well, you know, she worked part time and uh, in the, the photographer's studio. And then she hung out at night uh, in clubs and, and uh, she she did met this young man. Uh, he was a singer and a songwriter and played guitar and he was handsome and and, and she'd fallen in love with him. Oh. And uh, so after work, she'd go to the club and sit there and watch him play and they'd hang out afterwards and smoke pot all night. Huh. So if I'm hearing you, there's this driven, intelligent young woman who is almost going anywhere she wants to, and then she's going nowhere. Yeah, right. And she, you're right. I mean, she was she was just very likable, you know, not flamboyant. There was a, a bit of repression about her, but uh, attractive and intelligent and decent. And you had this sense of determination about her, you know, that she had this drive underneath. But it was it was going nowhere. It was flat. So, yeah, what, what was it like being in the room with her for that first appointment when she came to you looking for help? Well, that's what struck me is underneath there was this lively, intelligent person, but the surface was just dead. Huh. It was just no response, uh, no expression, uh, hard to get a rise out of her. Although I could tell she was really alive underneath. Uh, a certain quality of stubbornness underneath, but uh, very, very dead on the surface. Oh, wow. So, so how did things proceed? What did you do with that? Well, so there was the, the two problems. There was the deadness, but also there was the, the marijuana. And uh, I, I started by talking to her about that. But she was blind to it. I mean, she just could not see the problem with smoking marijuana. And, and when I would talk to her about it, you know, she kind of would brush me off. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you straight people, you, you, you don't know uh, marijuana is really this great herb that we, you know, we all smoke and it's wonderful and everything. Like she couldn't see it. Hmm. And uh, the other thing she couldn't see is the problem in this relationship. So there was two areas of blindness that I ran into very early. Blind about the marijuana, blind about the relationship. The blind photographer. That's yeah, something. and that's something. And I, she showed me some of her work and it was great, but uh, she was the blind photographer. So I got her to talk about this guy you know, and it turns out, you know, he's he's handsome, he's talented, he's, you know, writing his own music and playing and everything. But and she's in love with him, but he's kind of, you know, likes hanging out, you know, but he doesn't really want to get exclusive. I see. And gradually, as I talk to her, it comes out, you know, that sometimes he sees other women and she's talked to him about where we're going and he's he likes things the way they are you know he's uh, but so dr chaska when you're talking about that and she's saying she wants to have this committed relationship with him and he's kind of like you know a rock star who doesn't want to be committed yeah, 
what was that like? Was the deadness there? Did she get excited about it or upset? Or? Well, you could you could feel the excitement underneath because she she loved him, uh-huh. but she she wasn't an excitable person, uh, you know, on the surface. It was hard for her to show feeling. There was a lot of lot of block in her, blocked in expression. Mm-hmm. You could feel the aliveness, but blocked in the expression. I see. And so what happens then? Well, I approached it a couple of different ways. Uh, I tried physical work with her, have her lie on the couch, breathe, kick, uh, to try to bring up more energy. But it kind of didn't work. And I think largely because of the marijuana. So Mm -hmm. I began to focus more and more on that. But again, it was, it kind of bounced off her armoring. You know, I tell her that, you know, all the studies show that people who smoke marijuana tend to do less well academically, less well in their work life. Uh, You know, they get a lot of big ideas, not often aren't able to make, make them come to fruition. Uh, But she, she had that kind of rebellious streak in her. Mm. that was what our relationship was like. I was kind of like a father, father figure to her. So she wanted the connection with me, but she also thought I didn't really know what I was talking about with the marijuana. Uh, but I did get her to talk a lot about the relationship. That's where, you know, that's where I could make the first connection with her is talking about the relationship. But I had to be really careful. You, you know, you can't, criticize somebody on something like that. So what I tried to do is draw her out, get her to talk about this guy until eventually she began to see the problems. And as things went on over the months and the relationship wasn't progressing and uh, she, she began to get it with him, but still smoking a lot of pot, uh, the work on the couch, trying to give her breathe and kick, not going anywhere. I was starting to feel pretty frustrated. I, see. With it. I, I felt, you know, what am I going to do? She doesn't, doesn't listen to advice. The physical work doesn't go anywhere with her. How do I get through? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, how did you get through to her? <laughs> Glad you asked. <laughs> I was sitting there with her one day. And I was, I was frustrated and I thought, well, this, this feels like kicking a dead horse. And I, I, that little shocking to me, you know, know, kicking a dead horse, but I thought about it. And uh, so this is you sitting with her, feeling that thinking that sitting her feeling that's, that's, that's what the, the feeling of frustration finally formed into the idea is this is like beating a dead horse. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I hesitated. I waited a while because that's kind of a shocking thing to say somebody, but finally I thought, well, you know, she's not getting anywhere. I'm frustrated. She's her life is, it's kind of drifting away. So I said it to her. I said, you know, sometimes I've, this feels like beating a dead horse to me. And everything just went still. It was still anyway, but 
you know, there was a stillness beyond yeah. stillness. Yeah. Nothing showed, no, no sign of, of anything except that frozen, it was frozen. She, she froze and she froze more. But you hit a nerve. You could feel I hit a nerve. And she didn't say anything. And nothing happened for uh, a few sessions. And then she comes in and she says, I broke up with my boyfriend. Hmm. But there was something not right with it. There's this kind of smile there. And, but, you know, it was a trap. <laughs> I, I, I said, oh, you know, good, good. And she said, I've got a new boyfriend. Oh, wonderful. That's great. But turns out she found this guy who smokes even more pot than the last guy. (laughs) You know, I I think there was something uh, of a rebound relationship and and honestly something spiteful. There was a little F you to me, too, Hmm. you know, with all my talk about getting off marijuana. So she moves in with this guy and um, he was really no match. He, he drove a, a, a truck and went around and stocked vending machines with snacks. You know, he drove the truck. Don't go around hungry on, on the side of the truck. And that's what he did. And, you know, probably a lively, intelligent guy, but all he did was smoke weed. So, you know, he was happy. You know, if he needed a snack, it was right in the back. Yeah. So, um, well, she didn't, that didn't last long. So uh, a couple of months and uh, one day she walks in the office and I can tell there's something different. There's, there's kind of a, a, a spring in her step and a light in her eye. And uh, I just said, what's, what's going on here? And she says, I broke up with the boyfriend. I said, okay, all right. She kind of waited a little bit and she said, I stopped smoking marijuana. Uh, wow. I said, all right, well, that's great. How come? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she didn't tell me. And then, then she goes and she says, I'm going to go back to school and get my MBA. <laughs> I said, wonderful. You know, I thought, okay, you know, a couple of years, get herself back into shape, uh, you know, get the rust off her brain, the pot out of her brain. Uh, that wasn't her. Boy, she was, once she got moving, she was a firecracker. Wow. And she came out of the fog and, I, you know, it was night and day too. I don't know. I'm sure you've watched somebody come out of the fog of marijuana and how, you know, they just come back to life. Yeah. You know, and there was a spring in her step and a light in her eye and she was moving. And, you know, she went out and she researched it and she got her applications in and she went through, you know, a round of uh, interviews and, and everything. And she got into a really, really prestigious, uh, you know, Ivy League school. So, I mean, she was a very bright young woman. Wow. So how much time elapsed between that being a dead horse, you know, intervention, interaction, and in this process of moving on from boyfriend to boyfriend to. Maybe, you know, maybe two months with the boyfriend. And then after that, it went really fast. It's huh. like 
once she walked in, I probably saw her two or three more times over the space of a month. Wow. And that was it. Hmm. Yeah. So, so what do you make of that? Well, it just, it shows you what people can do when they get moving. You know, there's mm-hmm. so much potential in people and the things that get in the way are the armoring, you know, in her case, the blindness and marijuana. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'm wondering when you're, when you're saying that, you know, thinking to yourself, feeling frustrated, like her therapy is not going, she's not going anywhere. She must have had some sense of that feeling that herself, like this relationship with her boyfriend. Like, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse trying to get him to commit. She must have resonated with her. You know, but she could never admit it to me. You know, I think, I think that was just the, the transference, you know, that, be like agreeing with your dad, you know, <laughs> listening to your dad instead of, you know, whoever. It was kind of like that, you know. When she left, I I, I felt like the the father who'd uh, uh, dropped his daughter off at college, you know, because she didn't need much from me anymore. She was she was on her way. Hmm. Did you have um, connection with her at all? Um, when she went into the MBA program? No, two, three more sessions, you know, and she would want a couple of phone calls and, uh, you know, she, she was just gone and she just said, you know, I don't, don't need it. Don't have time for it. I'm busy. And she was off living her life. Were you ever able to reflect on like with her of, of, of this seems to have helped or, um, or would that be just a mistake just to touch on, just let her be, she's doing well? You know, I, I didn't, she kind of, she kind of disappeared. Uh, I, I did hear from her uh, a little later, uh, a couple of years later, a few years later. So, and I, I, I got this really nice card in the mail, you know, very, this pink kind of very nice thank you card. And I opened it up. It was from her. She said, and she told me she'd graduated. She had this great job with this really good company. Uh, And she said, thank you. Thank thank you for helping me get my life back on track. Wow. It was very moving. Yeah. Wow. You know, she, she strikes me as, I've had a few patients that you may say something, give them your um, opinion or, or how you see something. And it's like, they hear it and they hear it and nothing's happening and nothing's happening and nothing's happening. And then they, they, you know, run with it. And, and that's yeah. very much how it sounds like between you and her. Selective hearing loss. I know I, the ear block is, is, is important. It's true. And, it, and I didn't, I didn't know that anything was getting through to her and, and, you know, maybe all she needed was to stop smoking pot, leave the dead end boyfriend and just let her be her. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if, um, I don't know if this was a conscious um, decision on your part, but you know, you said you kind of like, do I, do I say this statement to her? You must've had a sense that that wasn't going to crush her. You know, some patients you would never say something like that to, 
you must have had a sense that she could handle that and um, you know she could take it. I, I hope you're right. I was I was young then in, in my career and and pop possibly a little more uh, prone to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's always a bad thing. In this case, it worked out. I guess uh, you know I, I I didn't I knew she wasn't going to be crushed from it. I I yeah. guess I thought she might leave therapy, but uh, but you're willing to take that chance because she needed yeah. help. Something had to happen. Yeah. Wow. So, so there are some questions from the audience already. Um, one of them is, did her family know about her, her habit with marijuana? Did, did they, were they involved in that at all? You know, that's, I know almost nothing uh, about her family. Uh, and I'm sure I asked a little bit, but the only thing I knew about her family is she had an uncle. Uh, her family was from the West Coast. And she had an uncle out here and um, he was a professor someplace in, in Philadelphia and he had had medical orgone therapy and he was the one who encouraged her to come to it. But I, I really didn't know much about her family. It, it didn't come up. Yeah. Yeah. And um there's another question from the audience. Can you say more about your perspective on the harmful effects of marijuana, how you see that, maybe um, how you've seen it with, with other patients, with, with her? What happens? Well, I, I work with a lot of young people, and so I work with a lot of young people that smoke marijuana. And I, I just think it's way underestimated as far as a damaging drug. Uh, you know, it, the first thing I see is it, it tends to kill the emotions. Uh, it kills the, the, uh, the capacity to make an emotional connection with another person. You know, it heightens sensation, you know, so um, eating can be, you know, very pleasurable. Some people use it as a sexual stimulant, but it, it can heighten sensation, but it deadens that capacity to make an emotional connection. And it gradually deadens the, the kind of emotional spark that you see in people. People will get a kind of a, a dull and a gray look, and you start to see cognitive problems. Uh, people can't find the right word, so they, you know, they can't find the word, so they, they like you know, uh, they can't find the words, the memory starts uh, to malfunction, their attention and concentration uh, deteriorate. Uh, and it, it coincides with a lot of what we see scientifically. We know it, there's lots of sociological studies that show that people who smoke marijuana don't do as well in school don't do as well in their careers, don't do as well in their relationships. There's the, uh, there's a, a couple of very good scans. Uh, there's an MRI study uh, from a few years out of England that shows shrinking of the corpus callosum, which is the main connection between the left and the right side of the brain. They saw up to 50% loss of volume in that in heavy marijuana smokers. 
Then you have the PET scans, which measure blood flow to the brain, and they see uh, severe loss of uh, blood flow to a lot of uh, the deep centers uh, in the, the limbic system and deep in the brain uh, get a deficit in blood flow with marijuana. So there's lots of reasons to believe that marijuana is harmful. It doesn't kill people the way fentanyl does, uh, but it, it kills their soul. Mm. You know, when you're talking, Dr. Chask, it made me, when you're, especially, especially when you're talking about the sociologic uh, consequences, I have two young women patients mm-hmm. whose boyfriends both use marijuana fairly heavily. Mm-hmm. And it was always kind of a problem, but never a big problem. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, as they have progressed and become more alive in their own therapy, it has become more of a problem. Yeah. And I see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes, you know, it deadens the excitement in the relationship and that lowers people's anxiety. Yeah. So you have a boyfriend that smokes pot, it deadens the charge. Yeah. So there's an excellent question. Early on, when you were talking about meeting um, this patient, Kimberly, and and feeling her deadness, you, you said that there was... Uh, her smoking and her blindness and deadness. Um, were you saying that the deadness was not just the marijuana, but was also a characterological aspect of her? And do you think That's there's any correct. connection between someone's character and their use of the drug? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's correct. She, she had very shallow breathing and I didn't say much about that, but uh, even her, her chest looked constricted and she didn't breathe. She breathed very shallowly. And she had a lot of tension in the jaw uh, and the throat. And so her voice was weak and her breathing was shallow. And, and that, I'm sure, was there long before the marijuana. Uh, but the two things, so, so there was this repression uh, that showed in her speech and, you know, in, in her daily life. And then the marijuana added to it by deadening her. Mm. While you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, her academic and her work life and her love life seem quite different, you mm-hmm. know, the way you've described it. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, what do you make of that? Mm. Well, I, I, I think the, the marijuana got to her, her work life before it got to her love life. You know, she mm-hmm. was still lively and and wanted a relationship and, and could love. You know, she hadn't been smoking marijuana that long. I, I didn't say that. She had used, she actually went to Berkeley, but didn't smoke much pot um, when she was there. Uh, and it wasn't until maybe six, eight months uh, before she came to see me that she started smoking marijuana heavily. So it was just beginning to take its toll. And she was still very alive emotionally and able to able to love. She initially, though, she was feeling stuck with her work, though, right? Yes, I mean, that's what she it seems to be something specific. Like um, she would give other people a pass. But when yeah. there's something, you know, with her work life, then she had to address it. And that allowed her then to address how she interacted with other people, how she was letting this boyfriend just, you know, do whatever he wanted. Yeah. That really stands out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she saw that. She saw that she wasn't making art. Yeah. 
you know, and she felt, she said, I've got all this time. She was only working 15, 20 hours a week. Wow. She had all this time. And she, she saw the, the problem, but she didn't see the cause. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that blindness, you, you also saw that as not just the drug, but specific to her. I mean, yes. when I heard it, you, you sound like, or she sounded like uh, it was this fairy tale. You know, here's this rock star guy who's gorgeous and plays this great music and we're going to be happy together. And yet that was not reality. Well, you, you, you read it exactly. That's the way it was. And of course I was like, uh, we'll see. Uh, and we did, but you know, you can't come out and, and, and say that right away. So I had to uh, let her talk her way into seeing. Yeah. Uh, you know, that stands out. Right. Too. It was like a fairy tale. You know, it was, a, it was the rock star fairy tale, you know. Yeah. This. What you said about talk her way into seeing, I see that all the time with patients, especially, um, certain patients who can get away from their feelings just by not even talking about it and, mm -hmm. and by talking with it uh, about it and, and you hearing them, like actually hearing them that allows them to connect with the feeling that's connecting right. with her dissatisfaction with the relationship. Yeah. That, that's what it sounded like. Yeah. And her basic decency. She was basically a very decent, honest person. And when she finally heard it, she couldn't deny it anymore. Yeah. Decent to a fault. Yeah. Decent to a fault. Yes. Good. Um, there's a, a question. Do patients more typically disappear from therapy or do they have closure with some final sessions? Oh, wow. I can, uh, you know, it's always ideal to have closure, uh, but it is unfortunate that people do disappear. And she did I, for her, you know, it, it was a wonderful outcome and, and, and she got what she came for. I mean, she got her life back on track. She was, I mean, she changed from photography to business, but she was excited about it, motivated and succeeding. So yeah, it would have been nice. Uh, I would have been productive to have more sessions, but it's just not the way it worked with her. Yeah. A lot of people run away from therapy. A lot of people's, I, I guess, you know, I, I, my concept of health is, is probably bigger than what most people come for. People will come for, uh, you know, relief of symptoms, maybe to get the, some problem in their life solved, but the, they don't see the bigger issue and they don't see how much potential they have. You know, that's people don't see how, how much good there is in them. You know, how much they have to look at themselves first to see what's there. Yeah. They have to make contact, but people have so much in them if they can let it out. Hmm. Yeah. Well said. That being said, it sounded like that letter was maybe the, the best she could do or where she was in terms of closure and reconnecting with you, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was very, very touching, very moving. Yeah. There's a question. Uh, um, you say that marijuana kills the emotion. What does it do to empathy? Does it, does it interfere with empathy with others? 
I think so. You know, I understand empathy is uh, the emotion moving the feelings in one person excite motion in, in the feelings of another person. So it's, uh, it's a responsiveness of your whole energy system. You actually, you know, uh, you feel like the other person because the energy starts moving in you the way it's moving in another person. And I do think that marijuana kills that. Now, not right away, you know, you don't smoke marijuana a couple of times and you lose your empathy. And uh, this, it's very gradual how this process takes place. And I think that's part of why people don't see it, but it is a gradual deterioration in this. Yeah. If, if um, marijuana reduces, you know, energy movement and and contact with yourself, of course, and and the way you just described it, um, an emotional connection, empathy with somebody else is, is feeling that connection between you and that part and what's inside yourself it would have to, you know, to a degree, although I think there can be specific, you know, like kind of how she was blind to certain one, you know, certain things, but not others. Yeah. My sense is that people can um, connect with other people in one way, but not another way. Maybe they can connect about frustration, but not sadness, just as some people have difficulty with certain emotions more than others. Yeah. I think she had a lot of problem with anger. That's something that, we never really got to in her sessions, but I think that's what got her moving. You know, I got her, what I said made her angry and, but she was able to put it to work, you know, and, and pull herself out of, of being stuck. Can you say more about what gave you the impression that she had difficulty with her anger? I never, never saw it, never saw anger. Mm. You know, she didn't get angry at the guy. Uh, I mean, angry at herself. She it's not that she didn't have anger. She turned it on herself. Yeah. She was self-critical. Speaking of, I have a young woman who smokes marijuana and literally it was last week uh, when we were talking about it, she said, I smoke weed so I don't kill anybody. And she's not someone who's going to go kill somebody. But what that means is to not feel the intense anger that she has. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was very clear. And speaking of, I'm, I'm curious, how do you address it with patients now? Do, do you tell them from the beginning? Do you work um, patient to patient? How do you address marijuana use now? It's getting getting harder and harder because, you know, people come in and say, well, I've got a medical marijuana card. I'm prescribed it for my anxiety or my insomnia. So it, it's that makes it a little harder when they they have that much investment in it. Um, it, it, it takes some time and, and sometimes you can't get there, you know, but, um, the way I approach it is to try to get to see what the function of marijuana is, you know, Oh, you take it for sleep. Well, let's talk about that. How's that working? You know, usually what I find with sleep, marijuana will put people to sleep, but it also disturbs your sleep. So you become more and more dependent on marijuana to get to sleep. Yeah. Uh, and, and that tends to be the pattern is the marijuana solves things in the short run, but makes them worth, worse in the long run. Yeah. So there's another question. Could Dr. Chask elaborate on Kimberly's armor being so impenetrable in biophysical work? 
Mm. Could, you, could you say more about that? You know, you were trying to use that avenue to, to connect with her, to help her. Well, in, in medical organ therapy, we would go back and forth between working on the character and working on the physical armoring. And I think the key with her was she, it wasn't going to get anywhere until the character defense was addressed. And the character defense in this case was the blindness and the deafness. And, and that had an element of, of a transference uh, resistance as well. You know, she wasn't going to let me tell her what to do. You know, I, she had the, she was a little anti-authoritarian, rebellious. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that, I think that was what eventually got addressed is, you know, her anger was bound up in this relationship with me where I didn't know what I was talking about. Marijuana's good. And eventually when we got through that, the anger got moving and, uh, got her going in her life. Yeah. I mean, I just can't help but but it's so amazing that your work was biophysical. She was a dead horse that you couldn't move, you know, like yeah. you kept poking and prodding and breathing, having her kick and she was a dead horse. Didn't budge her. Didn't budge yeah. Her. yeah. But when I said the right thing or said yep. the wrong thing, what, depending on how you look at it, well, well, I think she was the right like thing. <laughs> Do you know if her, did her friend circle change with um, her marijuana use, giving it up? I know that's common where, you know, there's people that you go to, to hang out and chill and, and smoke. And if you get away from it, sometimes that changes things socially. You know, that's interesting because she never talked about friends. I'm not sure that she had any out here other than the boyfriends. Now, I'm sure she must have had a, you know, if she was hanging out in the club, she must have had a circle of acquaintances, but yeah. she never talked about her family and she never talked about her friends. She talked about her boyfriend and her work. She had one friend who, an older guy who was a, uh, he was also a, a professor. And I remember she held him up to me as an example saying, well, he smokes marijuana and he's a professor at blah, 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 blah. And then as I draw, drew her out on it, it turns out like he was an adjunct professor. And even though he was very intelligent and, and accomplished, he like never got it together to become, you know, on a tenure track. So yeah. it was there, but she didn't want to see it. Yeah. There was a question do you also see reasons not to not to accept a patient who uses a lot of marijuana? Occasionally. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. A, a young man um, who had a long history of being on medicine for ADHD. And it had helped him a lot when he was younger, but then he started uh, smoking marijuana very heavily. And, uh, I made a deal with him. I said, I'll restart your ADHD medicine if you get off the pot, but he couldn't on his own. 
So I said, okay, you better go into rehab then. He had to go into rehab and he did get off of it um, and stayed off of it for maybe two, three months after he got out. I got him restarted and then he started using marijuana again. And I told him, you know, that I, I couldn't treat him unless I, I couldn't continue to, to give him that medicine uh, unless he got off marijuana and he chose to go el- elsewhere. So, yeah. But you, usually I'll try to work with someone. Yeah. Me, me too. And I, I remember one situation where we made certain progress and things were going well and similar to Kimberly's situation, there was just a plateau mm-hmm. and um, I was not able to find whatever that was to get through to him. And um, so we just had to say, this isn't helping, you know, the way I saw it was you have to stop and then we'll get through the plateau. And he decided to stop and I haven't heard from him again. Uh, On the other side, uh, I had a prospective patient who called and over the phone, I asked about drug use and he mentioned marijuana. And I told him I have not been successful in uh, treating people fully who don't give marijuana up. And mm-hmm. when I saw him for the initial evaluation, he told me he had stopped already. So somehow letting him know that cl- clearly up front um, went a long way for him. Yes. So it depends on, on patients. Some people can listen. But yeah, certain patients, you know, you can get through to and, and other ones. And, and sometimes I, I think it's just, you know, just like we can have connections with some people, not others. It's, it's just, that's how it is. That's right. Yeah. Just to reinforce uh, something you said, you know, fentanyl, Percocets, heroin, you know, we're in the opioid epidemic. And and I think we've been hearing about more and more people dying from it, um, especially with the lockdowns and the pandemic. And I think we're hearing more about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And You know, in the medical literature, people are talking about benzos more as if it's going to be like the next, you know, but but nobody's talking about marijuana. And, you know, what you said about uh, fentanyl killing people and and marijuana killing people's souls. I mean, that that stands out. Yeah. Yeah. It's not only um, kills the soul, but nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody sees it. You know, society doesn't see it. People see it. I, you know, I see it every day with kids who come back, you know, they get off of it is, you know, in about a month, it's, it's like night and day and the families see it. Uh, world doesn't see it. Yeah. So, um, Dr. Chaska, is there anything else about her story or, uh, your therapy with her that you think's important to emphasize? Well, one aspect of it was um, uh, that the way she came to see me is that she was young and a lot of young people uh, can't afford medical organ therapy. And uh, so she had this, the, the relative that I mentioned earlier who told her about it. So she called the American College of Ergonomy. And uh, she came to see me through a reduced fee uh, fee referral service. Uh, 
people may not know, but for young people who are just getting it started in life, there is uh, that option uh, if that if they want medical organ therapy, they can uh, call college and there is a reduced fee referral service. Yeah, I, I think that's great to mention, you know, um, someone who, who's just starting out and, and doesn't have the resources, that's a great option for them. Yeah. Well, Dr. Chaska, this has been a wonderful discussion and presentation, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Chaska. Thank you. Thank you for hosting it. How do you feel after listening to Kimberly's story? What do you think? Listening to her story again, I can't help but think how lucky Kimberly is. She was able to free herself of marijuana and its stunting effects, but many are not. Do you, or does anyone you know use marijuana? What effect do you see that it has? We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. You can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, Amazon's Audible, and Spotify. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Organomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical organ therapy as practiced by the physicians at the ACO offers a way forward often without the use of medication.